Hello, and welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week, we have a really super special episode. It's another bonus episode. And we haven't done an interview in a while. We realize it's been almost a year, and it was John Rod who was our last one. I'm embarrassed. Yeah, which actually, that was one of our most like highly listened to episodes at the beginning of the year. Because it was really good. Yeah. And we failed miserably. We need to get our friends on our stupid podcast. (laughs) So without further ado, uh, this week we are talking to uh, director of photography, Steadicam operator, Niels Lindelin. Hello. (laughs) So Niels, please tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do. Uh, so I'm a camera operator for film, TV, uh, commercials, etc. And my job is to uh, compose the frame, make you know, uh, <laughs> make the shot look good, <laughs> move the camera into the right place at the right time, yes. and find the angles that tell the story. So. And you're usually like the op itself. You're not usually working as like a focus puller or uh, things Correct. like that, right? No, I, I, I really don't do any. Um, that's the first AC pulling focus. Mm-hmm. So there, uh, there's a team of people assisting me to do the shot. A lot of things have to happen in sync uh, to get the shot right. There's a lot of people doing a lot of work, obviously. Um, but I just have to uh, get the camera to the right place at the right time <laughs> and point it in the right direction. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that simplifies the job, but yep. Uh, (laughs) um, And for our listeners, too, you are a special kind of camera operator. Yes, I I like the the more specialized uh, forms of camera operating that um, involve technology, I guess. I'm a Steadicam operator primarily, um, which is a, a stabilizer, a mechanical stabilizer that you wear. Um, but I also operate drones. I operate underwater, uh, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's, um, I know you've, I know last year you killed it. Um, so what, well, thank uh, you. <laughs> I, at least I think so. Uh, what are some of the projects that you did that, uh, kind of recent where some people might be able to see your work? Uh, a project I did recently, um, was uh, the Heartless music video for The weekend? Mm-hmm. Um, you can see some of my Trinity work on that. That's a sort of a hybrid form of a Steadicam and an electronic gimbal, um, which is, is relatively new, and, and that's uh, one of the systems they were using on 1917. So you can do a lot of interesting shots with that that were sort of previously inaccessible. Um, it really allows you to um, float the camera around wherever it needs to go. Um, which is really exciting. Yeah. (laughs) So we were doing a lot of that on that video, and you can check it out. That's awesome. Well, talking about that, I saw a very specific uh, behind-the-scenes video on 1917, and I'm pretty sure they're using exactly that, which was like that final run in the movie, uh, where it kind of starts off. It looks like it's a Steadicam op, and then it ends up up on a truck uh, with a crane on the side of it. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's a UK-based electronic gimbal called the Stabileye. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's really neat because you can mount it to all kinds of things. They had it handheld. They had it on a wire rig. They had it coming on and off cranes, going onto the truck, like you said. Yeah, so very versatile tool and keeps the shot looking good the whole time. Well, I think that reminds me that we were so excited to start talking with you. We never told our listeners oh, yeah. why we decided to have you on this particular episode. <laughs> <laughs> So for anybody who listened to uh, the original episode with 1917, you might have heard that Jordan and I were just like, for the love of God, I don't know how they did some of these shots. (laughs) And we were like, we've got to call Niels. Yes. Yeah. So overall, what did you think of the movie? Just like as a film whole. I really, really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a powerful story, very well told. Um, And I, a lot of, I hate to say it, but a lot of single take style movies uh, I find to be gimmicky on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was really afraid of that. And uh, Deacons and Mendes are, are heroes of mine. Um, I trusted them not to do that, and they delivered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was kind of one thing that we talked about during the episode too. Just in terms of like story, I'm usually pretty put off by war movies because uh, yes. in general, it's a tough genre. It's yeah, a really hard genre to get right. Well, in general, one thing I always say is that I think everybody learned the wrong lessons from Saving Private Ryan, which is to really hammer down war as hell and to make it as graphic yeah. as possible. Yeah. And this one this one avoided that, I thought, in the perfect ways. Yeah. It did. It's it's still um, 
that's a great comparison. It's still morbid at times and very oh, yeah. difficult oh, to watch, yeah. horrifying, um, but in a way um, with reverence to what these people went through yeah. and, and without exploiting um, that impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, like, I didn't leave this being like, you know what I want to go to go do? Go to war. Yeah. I didn't right. like. It left exactly. me like I don't think that's it, what we need to do. Out. Yeah, it's and, definitely uh, not Black Hawk Down. You know, no, no, no. it's not a video game. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, no, I we both we both loved it too. Uh, I'm still debating on if I want to count it as a 2019 or 2020 movie because if it's a 2019, then it's hands down my favorite movie of the year. And if it's 2020, then the rest of the year has a lot to live up to. You know? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with 2020. Yeah, <laughs> I saw it in 2020, and uh, 2020 better get in action because uh, yeah, 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 a lot of great movies last year. One yeah. thing that's no. interesting about the movie in itself is that uh, I've noticed recently on film Twitter, because there's so many different areas of Twitter that people can get all upset about now, uh, <laughs> people people are getting really mad that this movie is getting so much praise, and they're like, well, it's just ripping off a Dunkirk. And I cannot imagine two more separate oh, move, I, movies. I that, really don't see that comparison. No, the, the only thing about it is that like it's an intense movie that's that has a stylistic, uh, we'll use the word gimmick, even though I don't think either of those movies are gimmicky. But like, yeah, it, a, a, a stylized tool for telling the story. Yeah, and they're yeah. both war movies, and they both focus on people who you don't immediately recognize. Uh, yeah. But like, they—it's one thing we said. They to me, they feel like perfect companion pieces, but they couldn't feel like dip, more different movies to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I I have to say, um, I I really appreciate uh, Nolan's time bending style. Yeah. I I don't think it served a war movie very well. No. And in 1917, the, the the thing that really worked for me is is this: they set up well in the beginning the pressure of time. Yeah. And oh. Then to feel it play out, and you feel, geez, we're, we're really just not getting there fast enough. But it's so difficult to go any faster; it's impossible. It's stressful, and that really tells the story here. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't have to do it with any sort of. They had a little bit in the music where this kind of that like pressure, but they didn't the time itself they set the stakes yes they kept they were like these are the stakes they're really really high and so it allowed everything else to just unravel that they didn't have to use these quote other gimmicks of camera work or music to to tell stress and that was a big thing in the score of dunkirk uh which is they use the shepherd tone in there which is just an an audio illusion that it makes it feel like it's constantly rising uh, which Nolan uses a lot. It's in the uh, sound of the bat pod, the motorcycle, and the Dark Knight. Uh, and another great example is if you were a gamer, uh, Super Mario 64, if you try and go up the <laughs> stairs before you get all the stars. Yes. I've always <laughs> wondered how that works. I didn't realize there was a term it, for it. That's great. It, yeah, it's essentially three octaves of the same note that all go up, in, but the it all has to do... They play at the same time, so it would look like they're all doing... You know, going up at the same time, but right. they differ in amplitude or volume as you go. So, like, as the top one oh, okay. goes higher, the the amplitude gets higher, so that way you can still hear it. And as the bottom one gets higher, the amplitude gets lower. And so, whenever they start over again, it sounds like all the volumes are consistently going from one note to the other. So, even though you haven't gone huh. past a certain amount of time, uh, it feels like you're just going forever. So yes. they use that a lot in Dunkirk, and they also use the ticking clock as a part of the score, which really works for that movie. It and does, yeah. I was afraid they were going to do that for this movie, and was really oh, glad to hear that top. they didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no, and I thought the music was um, was was really suitable to the movie. I thought it, I thought it was really, really good, a really good score. And and I was I was particularly impressed after, after realizing it later. Um, you know, so often changes in music happen with changes in scene mm-hmm. or the end of a sequence, the beginning of a sequence. And one of the things that, that really stands out about this film is the, is the way they got the pacing right. Yeah. And they got the, the transition in the moods and the transitions in the score in, in subtle ways that you, you don't, you still get all the right pacing out of a movie. Yeah, but without the traditional editing, yeah. so that's very impressive. Yeah, so I I I loved the score to this movie so much, and I could honestly yeah. just geek talk Thomas Newman all day. You know, that's another episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, as I say, I feel like yeah, we have an almost an entire episode of you geek talking John Carpenter. So just about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So 
for you, uh, especially looking at it through your professional <laughs> lens. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did it. We uh, went there. I, went, I did the pun. It's done. Um, what was kind of like visually one of your favorite sequences? Um, and let's... Yeah, let's start from there. Like, what's one that you're just like, uh, camera-wise, like, this sequence was just money? I I have to be honest, despite being a a camera guy, the thing that that usually grabs me first is lighting. Mm -hmm. Well, no, no, that actually makes you a camera guy. (laughs) Yeah. Just because you're not a gaffer, you have to look at the light. So, but yeah, talk about that. And I I am heavily involved with with getting the right angle on the light so that the lighting looks right. Right. Um, so I, I, it stands out to me. And, and the thing that impressed me most about this, uh, I guess really is two things. The, my, my favorite sequence in it is, is the ruined buildings at night oh. with the flares mm-hmm. going oh. over. Yeah. And the way the shadows move and the surreality of that. And um, it just, the, the horrifying look of it is, is so outstanding. The contrast is so sharp. And it really ties together this theme that the, the cinematography had been doing the whole time of darkness is safe, light is not. And, and it's, uh, they really achieve a, a weird way of making you feel afraid of broad daylight <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. because it's dangerous. And so then later when you're in that scene and you have the cover of night, but you need to see where you're going and you need to see your enemies, but the light is also revealing you to them. Yeah. I, I thought that worked really well, was really strong, and just yeah. looked amazing. Oh, my God. And like, everybody's bodies, like, th- these bodies to come attack him were coming as if from nowhere yeah. because of the coming darkness, Coming out of the too. shadows, you don't know what's what. It, that was a really, really impressive environment. Yeah. Um, something, just from you saying that, whenever we think of deacons, to me, I think the one is, like, the master of natural light, but also the yes. master of darkness. Yes. Uh, can you kind of give Shadow. an idea? Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Why is Deacon so good at that? Why does that, that like, <laughs> I mean, well, so, cerebrally. Him, but um, <laughs> I, I, I would argue that he, you know, he had a, a strong background in documentaries for a very long time be, before he became a narrative filmmaker or, or a scripted filmmaker rather. But so I, I think he, um, he knows how to use it. Yeah. He has a lot of experience with that. And a lot of people that grow up uh, shooting with artificial light, that's that's their tool. That's their their comfort zone. And um, Deacon's comfort zone is not that. <laughs> <laughs> One of yeah. my well, – the first time I ever truly appreciated Roger Deacon's – you know, and of course, go, looking back on a lot of things that I never noticed, like when I was younger watching movies, for example, I think he was the one who did The Village. And there was so much of that movie that was shot in candlelight. Uh which would make sense if it was him, but of course I could just be outing myself as somebody who's just throwing a movie out there right now. I don't think he shot the village, no? but I could I could I see so. it. Now, now I want to look it up real quick. <laughs> That's say, what everyone, Jess is doing too. IMDb Pro, everyone. But, but one of the first places I really recognized his work was on Sicario. Yeah. Uh, yes. And not only are like the action scenes and uh, like the traditional things that you would look for in flashy cinematography just awesome and incredible in Sicario but they're yes. the shot they're the shots of you know it whenever it's like uh, an aerial shot going across the border over the mountains like between mm-hmm. Texas and Mexico and yeah. it looks better than almost anything I've ever seen in an IMAX documentary it looked like something yeah. out of a David Attenborough you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jordan it's, it's really good. you were right I was it, right oh my gosh you are right <laughs> yes you, wow well you, yeah I can see that it is it is his style yeah. That's amazing. I can't believe you did a Shyamalan movie. Wow. <laughs> well, that's, and that's again, that's, ah. that's again when people weren't really like, wait a minute, maybe this Shyamalan guy isn't all he's cracked up to be. Like, we were all still all in for the village. We have to remember yeah. that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'm still not 100% mad at it. it it's, a, it's a good movie if you watch it for no, what it I is. think he's still, I think I'm still on board with Shyamalan on that one. But Welcome to the club. <laughs> we we are Shyamalan apologists who know that he has more misses than hits. I think that's how we can describe ourselves. Yes, he's he's his his earlier work was better. <laughs> yeah. Now here's a question: Did you like Glass? Did you see Glass? I did not see Glass. You are not missing much. <laughs> Okay, I was really afraid to be disappointed because Unbreakable is great. Unbreakable is fantastic, and Split was so much better than it had any right to be. Okay. That's because James McAvoy is a terrific actor. 
Well, it's hard to go wrong, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because if it was up to Shyamalan's directing, it would have been awful. It would have been awful. Mm. But McAvoy, like I, when we did the, an episode on it, I was like, if you would like textbook acting, if you want to see, like you can see his acting homework in a good way. But you see yeah. that this person did their literal homework to make this yeah. come a lot, come to life. Yeah. And that's why that movie is so good. Yeah. Well, that's what makes 1917 great too, actually, yeah. is, is the level of preparation to get it right. Well, is, I, I read that they, uh, they rehearsed this movie for six months and shot right. it in something like 30 days. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was reading about this a little bit. They, um, you know, obviously they started with the story that they had in mind to tell and, and they laid out in models, uh, you know, for the, for all their sets so that they could design the shots. And, and really the, the sets are designed to suit the shots and the shots yeah. were, were timed out well ahead of time and paced out well ahead of time. And they, you know, they'd sort of taped out markers on the ground of where the set would eventually be, where the trenches would eventually be. And they rehearsed and they rehearsed and they rehearsed until the timing and the pacing of the story was correct. And then they built the world to suit that. Mm-hmm. So that's how you get it right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, and I think that that's a lot of where uh, you see Sam Mendes really shining because before he even did American Beauty, he was you know well known for just being an immaculate theater director. And mm-hmm. I think that if he didn't have that background in directing theater and being able to see the story from taped lines on the ground, then yeah. you know it would have been a different level of and a, a different yeah. level and a different length of preparation they would have had to go through. I think. Yeah. So a theater guy and a docu guy make the best movie. Exactly. <laughs> None of this shocks me. <laughs> yeah, None of it shocks. shocks me. Do you know if they shot this on film or was it digital? This was digital. Yeah. 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 I mean, it looked beautiful regardless. Um, yeah. Well, digital's come a long way. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, for any of our camera geeks in the audience, do you know what they shot it on? Um, it was some flavor of Alexa Mini. I think it was the Mini LF. Let me look it up real quick. Okay. Yeah, because also, while you're looking that up for something for you to ponder, I, I'm i willing to be 100% wrong because my eye is not attuned to this at all. But it looked like the same lens. I There was one transition where I feel like there was a little bit of a zoom. Um, I forget which one that was. They're like exiting a house and the camera's going through a window or something like that. And uh, it felt like the background zoomed just a pinch. So maybe, maybe, maybe they changed for one shot. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But it most looks, of the story is told with the same lens and that is really impressive. I mm-hmm. was amazed. I, I, yeah. I don't envy that focus pull no. uh, <laughs> at all. Um, no. I can't really impressive focus pulling work on this uh, film. Yeah. And that's just one of those things where, you know, you, you do a, a 10, 12 minute take and, and just a, a little buzz and you got to go again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it gives me panic attacks. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. One of my yeah. favorite moments, uh, just in terms of talking about things being shot on the same lens and, you know, I'm using Dunkirk a lot as an example, just because it's a really easy example to make in this movie. Mm-hmm. But of course, Dunkirk was shot on 70 millimeter film and looked fantastic. Did you end up seeing yeah. that one in 70 mil? Yeah. Yeah. It was worth it. We saw it. Yes. In 70 mil absolutely. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but so much of that was you could again different lenses for different perspectives, and whenever you know you had right. the super wide perspective, you could tell they were using a wider lens. What I loved yeah. in this movie is what we already touched on was that last charge at the end of the movie where he jumps off the trench and he's running onto the battlefield. The mm-hmm. fact that it was still the same lens as what started and what looked good close up, but as as it right. was pulling away and as you know he was. So he was shortly becoming not the focus of that scene. It's not right. like it pulled out into this big, like David Lean style, uh, you know, wide shot. Yeah, a lot of people would be tempted to zoom out. In this exactly. Yeah. exactly. You, don't, you don't have to. Yeah, it just it just let it unfold as it did, and you didn't feel like yeah. you were missing anything because those are still real bodies running out there. Yeah, and. It was just chaos, and it just captured the chaos of again. It wasn't like you are watching a movie. It's like you were living the story. 
Yeah. Well, and your brain fills. It's a, it's a good movie. Your brain fills in that there's this rest of the battle happening over there, and it's through the fog and the smoke a little bit, and it's out of the shot, but you you sense that it's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need to see it. I also loved that they let him get out of distance, but they never let yeah. him get out of focus. Because I yeah. I felt as a viewer in that moment being like, catch up, catch back yeah. up, yes. catch, like I was yeah. like. You've got it wrong for the love of yeah. God. Like, uh, and it also, it, it did a really good job of, of this sense of we've only been following this one guy this whole time. And every one of these people running across the screen has a story like his going yeah. on. And, and they're trying to get out of this and, and all the same things. And there's a lot of human pain yeah. and suffering uh, in that shot. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought the bravery of keeping it on the same lens throughout is you quote missed moments things weren't perfectly in frame uh some things happened yeah it was like what it to me as a as a filmmaker it was one of those moments being like that's right you don't always need full freaking coverage yeah i i find so often um especially new directors they they want to they want to you know come right on and point the camera right at whatever they feel like they need to tell the story with and and that's not always the best way to tell the story sometimes it's better that it's a little subtle or you miss it or you think you saw it or you know whatever it is so right uh best guess what lens did they shoot it on uh i want to say like a 28 oh (laughs) i i guess i guess Oh yeah, that makes better sense. Like maybe a thirty-five. I, I think it's like a twenty-eight. Maybe okay, 20. okay, okay, okay. I think okay. it's twenty-eight. Yeah. So for anybody, Very versatile lens. For anybody who's not listening, uh, or who's listening and isn't familiar with different lenses and everything, uh, mm-hmm. what what constitutes Jessica's oh my god reaction on shooting everything on a twenty-eight? Well, <laughs> uh, so for stunt for stunt work um, specifically, we like to shoot things on fifties. Okay. Uh, because it's like a good mid and when you get specific kind of stunt work unless you have a month to f- choreograph a fight scene uh, yeah. showing people's legs takes energy like if you do a full body shot it tends to take energy out um, but it's a good mid mid shot um, yeah you're still getting a little compression out of it too so yeah it's, it's a little more intense so for the for the late for the layperson, then, uh, the higher the number on the lens, the wider the shot typ- typically is, or the more it captures on... Other way around. Opposite. Other way around, okay. So a yeah. 28 is pretty wide. It's wider. All yeah, right. it's pretty wide. Maybe, it's maybe, seen about twice as much as a 50. Maybe I'm just projecting. I'm like, that's so cool. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> a 50 is a great sort of torso, head, and shoulders kind mm-hmm. of lens. Gotcha. It's great for shooting faces, especially because... Um, on, the, on the 35 millimeter format, which is what most motion pictures shot on, that's the, the size of the, the frame in the camera or the sensor, the piece of film. Um, a 50 millimeter is what they call a normal lens. Mm-hmm. So there's no geometric distortion of gotcha. any kind. So it's great for shooting people's faces because their faces look the way they would in real life. Uh, you go wider than that, they start to... Um, it's hard to explain in audio. <laughs> they start to, uh, you know, they start to distort a little bit, and and they could look a little wider than they are. So, so, so like the fisheye lens effect, that would be a pretty yeah. You wide start lens. to get the fisheye effect a little bit. Okay. Yeah, and twenty. It's to, when my surprise for the twenty-eight was it actually was wider than I thought. Gotcha. Yeah. Just watching I, it all. I do like. I do appreciate shooting action, um, not necessarily fights, sort of hand-to-hand stuff, um, but action, especially running around or mm-hmm. moving, which is, we're doing a lot of that in this movie, obviously, um, to go a little wider because you get a better sense of space. Um, yeah. You can exaggerate things a little bit more. This is a great thing that wide lenses do is if something's close to them, it seems bigger than it really is. And the thing that's farther away seems smaller than it really is. So if you want to accentuate something that matters a lot with the character in the background, it's a great lens for that. Oh, that makes sense. It's a good lens to explore spaces and and get a sort of feeling of of three-dimensionality to them. So when you're in the trenches, you can see the guys on the side. If you're on a 50, you'd just be looking down the line. Right, that totally makes sense. Uh, You know, uh, and I think the other reason why it surprised me that it was wider is this movie felt extremely intimate yeah so this is this is a challenge because as you start to go wider from the 50 
the the close up moments when really you're tight with the person's face and that's all that matters. Uh, you're sacrificing a little bit. So you don't want to go too wide. By the time you're at, you know, 25, 24, especially uh, 21 or an 18, it's, it's, it's typically not a good idea to get close to people like that unless you want them to look weird. <laughs> right, right, right. That makes sense. So do you think you, you get the, the Amelie effect a little bit? Yes. Ah, very yeah. well, very well used in that film. So just, you know, and of course we're talking conjecture because none of us worked on this movie. Uh, yeah. But so do you think with them, essentially, if they did use the same lens, which we all think they probably did or used a couple that were very similar to each other. I think they use I I think they use like a thirty five or thirty two in the beginning, and there's one moment in the middle before it goes a little wider for the ending. Gotcha. Okay. 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 So yeah. for like the moments, for example, but whenever I, he whenever he's in the basement and he meets the woman and the baby, uh, yes. if they were still on a lens that you might not necessarily use for close up as much, do you think that's something that they may have cheated in the lighting a little bit for there? Is that is that a possibility, or uh, you think they would just said it's going to look how it's going to look? Let's just shoot the movie. Uh, I, I guess I don't follow the question. Oh, I guess so. Like for the that's a, just a piggyback. I think I just it, because I'm no expert, but it's all in the choreography and blocking. Mm -hmm. So I, yes. we, we don't see a lot of distortion because they understand. Well, we can't get. If you notice, there's no everything is like perfectly choreographed. So the camera needed yeah. to play this special dosy -si do with them all to keep them from looking weird. And if you notice their baby, we're never that close to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but you are pretty close to him. Like when he's seeing, yeah, he's saying the poem to the baby. Yeah. So, so like in terms of, I guess what I'm asking is if you were shooting on, if you were shooting on a lens like that and you had yeah. to get pretty close the way that they were uh, to cover up any kind of distortion that you might see in the, and the picture itself is that where you like some darker lighting might help might help mask some of that i guess no, i'm i'm gonna say no in this case like generally speaking sh sure but in this case no um you you do still you know the people's faces are lit and and any distortion that is there you are seeing mm -hmm. but we're we're just we're we're right in that goldilocks zone of being wide enough that you get the two shot with them and the silhouette at the end but tight enough that you can still shoot the faces close and have them look good, and, and they're just they're on the perfect lens. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Oh, oh, Roger Deakins picked the perfect As, lens. Go figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Big so, surprise there, with Deakins. <laughs> so one thing that we were really surprised about watching the credits is that Deakins was the A cam op for the movie. Uh, yeah, he always is. Is he? Yep. I don't. I don't guess I knew that. That's amazing. He's um, he's extremely specific about his compositions, and he he's the one executing them all the time, um, which makes me very jealous. <laughs> but I have mad respect, so yeah, he's very very good. I guess that's the equivalent for me knowing that uh, Thomas Newman plays all the solo piano pieces on the score. He doesn't have anybody yeah. else play it. Yeah, right, exactly. And it's particularly funny because um, you know in the American system, the the cinematographer is in charge of all the lighting and all the camera work. And they, they have people underneath them to, to execute those things. But in the UK, the more typical system is that they'll have two, two different DPs. They'll have a DOP who does the lighting and a DOP who does the camera work. And then you've got Deacons doing both. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's like, no, no. And operating. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, I got it. Um, yeah. I for, oh, gosh, we, we failed last time too. Did you recognize who the steady cam op was? Uh, so there's a couple different people. One of them, the, their Trinity operator, is a, is a fellow I know named named Charlie Rizek. Um, the the other guy operating the Steadicam and the people doing the Stable Eye are, are not people I'm familiar with. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, the Stable Eye. I mean, I've never. I literally. I wish I could recreate. I looked at Jordan at one point. And I was like, I don't know how they're doing this movie. I don't know how. Like, there's just some shots. There is one CGI shot that I honestly think was practical, like that they tried to make it practical, but it didn't work. Yeah, it was the one that really caught me when I watched it, was whenever he jumps off the bridge into the river. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that was the only moment where I was taken out of the movie. Uh, what did you feel about that? Uh, same, it, it, it did stand out to me a little bit. I, for, I've seen a lot of those kinds of shots where there's a stitch with someone falling and they're usually awful. Um, this mm -hmm. one is much better than a lot of those. And I do, I do have to give it credit that I think the, the, the stitch between the environment he's coming off of on the bridge and then falling and then the river 
you know, it's sort of three different pieces and the, it, the world looks seamless to me. The lighting looks seamless to me. The, the only problem I had is that the camera matches him just a little too well. And he's, he's, his body motion that he's clearly on some kind of a wire rig. He's yeah. Yeah. It, so he's sort of doing that, like rocking back and forth while staying vertical. Yeah, and yeah. normally people are tumbling. So that's it, that's the only thing that really got me. It reminded me a lot of like some of the shots in Sin City. Uh, yeah, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, uh, yeah. and again, if you I had feel the stage exactly. <laughs> I I had two quibbles with this movie. One was that one shot, and not because, again, I didn't think that, oh, I could have done that better, because obviously I couldn't, Uh, but just because that was genuinely, objectively a moment that took me out of the movie. And then the other one was just the title, which we were like, maybe 1917 wasn't the strongest title for this movie, but that's okay, we're going to blow past that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and but... And we talk, and for our listeners, um, if you listen to the original episode, I actually talk about the wire rig. It's actually because you're not falling at a rate of gravity. Um, right. And looking at the river and everything that was jumped off of, I was like, this was just flat out not safe. Yeah, and, there's no way you would be actually jumping into that thing. No. <laughs> well, if it were a Werner Herzog movie, you would. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Your life depends on it. Yeah, because yeah, he pushed you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> But you can't that getting the right frame of D cell is so hard. Well, yeah, because because I mean the only way to get it right is to fall. To just <laughs> you can't do that. So. Slip and fall. Yeah, right. it's really it's just really tough. We did a rig on uh, the TV show Legacies. Uh, who the key rigger is Mark Omez for that, and he is a crazy genius when it comes to rigging like he asks you questions and you're like i don't know like he <laughs> he's so smart and he makes me feel like the dumbest human being um he says, These are great people. yeah they're great people like i i was making a joke that i recently worked for the russo brothers as the head of department and mm-hmm. i could talk to them i was talking to them i was like highest grossing directors of all time who cares i need to talk to you Mark Gomez comes to me. I stutter. I can't talk. I can't finish a <laughs> sentence. I'm like, I can't talk to you. But anyway, like even we were trying to get these two actors to just like, and it was the stunt people too, to just tumble to the ground and getting that like decel so it looked like they just, they were like floating and then it was like, whoa. And they had to like land and fall to their sides. Yeah. That took, and like that was the hardest part is yeah. trying to make it look like it, but we had to get them on a wire because they have to fly. Yeah. And they probably also needed him to jump higher and longer and stay there. So that yeah. only way to do that is a wire. Otherwise, yeah. we probably would have just missed it. Yeah. I think for the folks at home, too, what, what they maybe don't understand is we talk about wires all the time, and um, it's it sounds kind of magical, maybe. And and what they what you maybe don't realize is to get the motion, there's there's a team of people who have to act and pull on these things in coordination, just the right speed and acceleration and deceleration, letting slack out and pulling tension at the right. They're all working together to make this three di- three dimensional motion, and and so it's it's very challenging. It's <laughs> really hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really really hard. It's easy to make it look like not what you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, because I. I yeah, that shot is really... I can't imagine how complicated it actually was. Like, I feel like they probably were like, just jump off the bridge. And then <laughs> it's kind of like when people go, oh, don't you just get hit in the face? And you're like, no, it doesn't look good. Right. If you get actually hit, everyone's like, oh, that looked dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has to meet the audience's expectation in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I... I can't think of a single way that they probably like could have pulled that off better. Uh, like I said, it was just a moment that happened to take me out, and then I had to put myself back into the movie. It's not, and it's not like it even took me out for that long, you know. Yeah. yeah. But in a movie as immersive as this one is, I just that's what caught me. It does, yeah. Well, and that's that's uh, very challenging with this because it, uh, the more you immerse somebody, the easier it is to make a mistake. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I'm I'm working on audio editing a short film right now, and the location audio was not recorded very well. It was recorded way mm-hmm. too loud. Uh, uh, no. So you know I'm having to pull back audio files by like 30 decibels in some places, like an insane oh, nice. amount. Yeah, <laughs> and 
And then we had to re-ADR like an entire six minute sequence of it. Uh, which ended up go- turning out great, but in making everything happen where it seems seamless, it's like, well, there is no music for this entire six minutes of here. The score doesn't come in until halfway through the movie. So yeah. it's like, okay, I have to I have to pinpoint every single moment where I can hear some kind of audio fade or dropout and then yeah. just sit there on that one frame of film for an hour and make sure that it doesn't happen that way. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um. Is there anything else, especially especially camera wise, but just because this movie was really good, especially and you're you being a filmmaker, that you're like, oh, this po-, like another point of storytelling or the composition that you're just like lost sleep over because it was so good, or something that you're like ah, blew your mind or anything you're like, oh, I need to talk about this about this movie. Um, <laughs> being in a trench with a steady cam. Let's just, we got to give it up to those guys. Those are tight spaces. I mean, just walking through as a, as a, as a background talent is, as, or as a person is yeah. difficult. Yeah. And to wear the camera in that environment. And um, steady cam rigs are pretty, pretty damn heavy, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, you're wearing probably close to 70 pounds or, or so. And, you know, just getting through a doorway with that thing is, is extremely difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a long time to get right. So to be in a trench and to be in a trench surrounded by people with explosions going off, you know, probably running backwards and all this. That's very impressive. Yeah, very are, impressive. These are all very good points. Not Holy good. crap. <laughs> Being in and tunnels with it, going, walking through the mud with it, through the, through the barbed wire with it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And <laughs> like, God, what kind of like, uh, this is something that did, I did think about like the physical fitness aspect of these long shots yeah, and you got to train. <laughs> you have to. You have to be in shape for it. <laughs> are there are there any particular exercises that you do that focus on your steady cam up? Mountain biking and hiking. Yeah, yeah, and uh, doing the job. <laughs> and, and doing the job. Yeah, that's cool. yeah. Oh, yeah, I would imagine a lot of it is just on the day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, just talking about Steadicam, uh, do you have any other examples of like great Steadicam shots in movies that you're just like, oh, this inspires me to do more of this? Like, I know like a lot of people point to The Shining by Stanley Kubrick as a great yeah. one. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously very well known for Steadicam work on that. One yeah. of the first, you know, early, early Steadicam movies too. And, and to see Kubrick uh, get to get to show off what the tool can do is, was, was great. Um, yeah. Children of Men is is one of my favorite movies for long takes. Oh yeah, and it, it long takes are tough because it's so easy to start to make sacrifices. Yeah, because it's so hard to get things to go just right for that long. It's so hard. There's so many people involved. There's so many things that that could that could go wrong to to make it not quite a hundred percent. And it's so easy to do, you know, thirty five takes of it and say, I'm happy with ninety two percent. And yeah, I, you know, they don't do that here. Yeah. <laughs> they get it right. And that's, yeah. that's standing. For anybody listening who might be like, oh, steady cam operating, like that's something that interests me, or I like camera work, but I really like not traditional camera work. So I, you know, definitely something that's in your wheelhouse. What's something that you would yeah. suggest to them for learning, for, research anything like that if you someone was listening and they were like "Ooh, i need to do what this guy does what would you say um i would say number one it i mean it depends on on what your what your world is where what your resources are etc but number one i mean almost everybody has a phone and and most phones have cameras these days so number one just just walk around with a camera film people doing things um and because I, I, I think the most the most important skill to have as an operator and the most difficult thing to teach is to get a sense of how people move yeah. naturally. When what what to look for when somebody's about to take a step somewhere or about to stand up, those kinds of things. And um, if you can if if you can develop an ability to to move with people in a natural way that that will really, really serve you, whether you're on a tripod, whether you're handheld, whether you're steady cam, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great piece of advice. I, I saw a tweet 
this was like a couple months ago, but they were like, how is it that all of us have cameras on our phones and you hand your camera to a stranger to take a picture and it sucks? Yeah. How? <laughs> well, yeah, think about the composition, you know. Um, it, it, put the people's feet in the photo, please. Like, <laughs> you're going to back up. Just don't, don't show everything but their toes. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, you know, pay attention to those things. Find find uh, framing and compositions that you like in, in the world around you, whatever that may be. Yeah. that's. A, I mean, it's a simple thing, but it's that's very, very, very true. Just go do it. Yeah. Uh, one other question I wanted to ask you before we start wrapping it up. Uh, so, and then a lot of this is how, like, the, how the camera team and the editing team really came hand in hand for this movie. Uh, you know, whenever you think match cuts, at least if you're going to talk about like classic film, uh, most mm. people either think 2001 where the bone becomes the uh, space station or yeah. they think the style, which this movie really took a lot from, which is rope by Alfred Hitchcock, which yes. is where the camera passes through an object and that's the end of the take. And then the beginning of the take, it passes through that same object and then goes to the next one. Um, yeah. Had, do you have much experience in doing that or have you been called to do things like that a lot? Uh, yeah. I mean, being involved in Steadicam, I, I end up doing this, these kinds of things quite a bit because yeah. um, it's the natural tool for that. Although I would argue that handheld is also a, a very natural tool for that. But you don't tend to see a lot of fantastic oneers handheld. But yeah. there's a lot of opportunity for that. <laughs> um, so I've done, you know, I've, I've done quite a, quite a lot of oneers, um, s- some whole short films that are oneers. And it's interesting to me because um, some of the earliest films ever are oneers. It's mm-hmm. just a shot of a train arriving or just a shot of someone going up the stairs. There's no cut. Because if you think about it, our, our human experience involves no cuts, and a cut is kind of unnatural. The first time somebody saw a cut, um, it's probably like, whoa, is this a new movie? What's, <laughs> what's going on? Right, but, right. Uh, it can be done in a natural way that, that, you know, there's this persistence of what's going on in your head and, and it, you know, um, but it's, it's interesting to try to tell a story without cuts. Um, I, I remember seeing rope as a, as a kid and feeling like this is a cool idea, but the technology is clearly not there yet. Right. Yeah. Because they're, they're moving this gigantic dolly around. The camera weighs a million pounds and, uh, it's, it's really difficult. And it, you know, when it goes behind someone's back or the t- curtains or the desk, it's just there a little too long. It's not doing anything for a few seconds. It feels like a cut. So it might mm-hmm. as well be a cut. Yeah. Right. This movie doesn't do that. Right. <laughs> Did you ever find yourself, cause I know we were pulling it out a few times. Like, of course, most of the time when we were talking about this movie, it was, Oh my God, how did they do that? But there were also times where, you know, like I'd tap her on the shoulder and be like, there's a cut right there. Did you find yourself mm-hmm. doing that a whole lot? I mean, as a filmmaker, it's impossible not to, especially yeah. doing what I do and going in knowing, oh my gosh, it's it's Deacons doing a Wonder movie. Um, <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible to not look for them. But I was, and and there are a few that that you you do notice. Um, I'm not sure if you're a general audience member to what it, their experience would be, but um, I know that there are cuts I didn't see. I know yeah. that where we were on a handheld gimbal and now we're on a wire rig or we're on a vehicle and I have no idea when the cut was. <laughs> yeah. No, I have no, no. idea. And, and one thing especially that is like bl- just blows my mind is is when he gets in and out of the back of the truck. Yeah. How, how yeah. you get a camera in and out of that space in a natural manner is just is mind-boggling to me. That's yeah. not something I've ever seen done. And, and of, certainly we've attempted many times. <laughs> and of all shots for you to bring up, the fact that you were like, how did they get in and out of the truck? Yeah, like, especially it, getting out of the truck. That <laughs> one was really beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> but the fact that you didn't say, how did they go backwards down that, like, of course, that was some sort of vehicle. Like, it wasn't like these... The, the shots that we would be like, oh, the movie magic shots. It was something yeah. as simple as getting out of the truck. Getting in and out of the truck, yeah. Because, well, it's hard. You've got to climb in. You're wearing this thing. How does that? That doesn't work. Yeah. So. I don't know how they did it. I don't even know yeah. how they got like got in and then also sat down. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea. I've seen some pictures of, of the rig that, that was in there. 
Um, it's it's a little like half hidden behind a curtain, so it's kind of hard to tell what's going on. But Charlie's standing next to it, so I'll I'll be talking with him to find out more. <laughs> yeah, it's like I excuse me, I I have some big I, questions. I need to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about I, the truck. One thing that we mentioned when we were watching this movie is how it gave really gave every department a chance to shine. Uh, yes. And not in like a flashy way, but just oh, everything was perfectly executed. And Everyone I, nailed. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think in moments like that, it also shows like just the like the general PAs who were on this movie, how much yeah. they were probably killing themselves doing a great job behind the scenes because you know yeah. it's possible that they were laying down ramps and then moving it before it got in camera. You know, yeah. they yeah. were they were pulling out barbed wire where you couldn't really see where it was it, going. Right. So yeah. so like I think. I don't think yeah, there walls was an- are moving in this movie and, and all kinds of this stuff happening. It was yeah. a, it was it was a piece the, of theater. I don't think there was an easy job anywhere on this movie, but no, it was no. all pulled off so perfectly. This this is one of those rare movies that I think uh it requires a rewatch, not just because it's a fantastic movie just to sit down and watch, but from just right. a filmmaking perspective. I mean, over, th- over yeah, yeah, this is this is school right here. I could oh, yeah. I could see this movie in twenty years being part of like a UCLA film curriculum. Yes, definitely. For for any single uh, thing you might be interested in learning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I blew, it blew my mind. I even was like, got I got wrapped up in how wardrobe did what they did. Yeah, yeah. We can't get this far without talking about art, art design a little bit too, because yeah, production design just just killed it on this movie. The color, the textures of, of all the things, the costumes. Oh my gosh, the it sets. There, wow. Perfect. There was a moment in this perfect. movie. It reminded me of a much lesser war movie, but like in a way of like, oh, this one did it right. Uh, you remember it was in the early 2000s, that Mel Gibson Vietnam movie, We Were Soldiers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is not a very good movie. No. Uh, but, like, they <laughs> they did that whole thing where, like, you fo- you followed one of the Viet Cong, like, you know, with a picture of his wife and, like, getting ready to go out there and being, like, really scared. And then they just end up, like, shooting him almost as a joke. Like, Mel Gibson turns around with an M16, shoots him in the head, and the movie keeps on going. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and, of course, you look at it now in, like, you know, in post 2016 eyes and you're like, Oh yeah, that's a really racist movie, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what that message is supposed to convey. <laughs> yeah. But this, but this movie, I think it, what it was trying to show and just did a terrible artless job at doing is that like, you know, they're not all just bad guys. Some people are just, are just in war fighting because they're on, that's the side that they're on this movie. Whenever they went through the bunker right before the bomb went off, uh, because you saw like all those pictures that had been that had been left behind of like people with their families and like all the personal effects that had been left behind. I thought that from a story perspective, it got that point across just in capturing those small little moments on camera better yeah. than better than the incredibly racist early v, early two thousands Vietnam War movie. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate in this film that uh, I think you, you only see the enemy once. Yeah. Almost yeah. the whole time, it's it's just something people are talking about, and you're imagining it, and and you're seeing uh, the results of what they've been doing. Yeah, you, you see the war torn area between the the no man's land. Um, you see what they leave behind in, mm-hmm. in the, on their side. You see writing on the wall. So so they're very real, but you really never see them. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I won't spoil, but <laughs> right. Well, and then after that, you stu- you still do see like individuals but they're always usually in shadow you know and yeah. it like to me oh that's it, true no you're right you do see him a lot a lot later but. but but i mean the biggest part of it the climax of this movie doesn't have a single quote unquote bad guy in the entire shot yeah yeah and that and that's just mind-blowing and war again war is the villain in yeah this movie. exactly yeah. war itself is the villain and, and everybody's just caught up in this yeah it's this thing yeah. And the fact, too, that their mission, even, like, they get sent on this mission from this general, like, the people that we read about, generals, and they're sent on this mission, and then this person we never see again. Yeah. Like, it's a really good point. I, I actually hadn't really thought about that, but, like, yeah, you just, it's the, these these human beings in this situation that all they have to do, all they're trying to do is survive it and do what they're told. Yeah, it's it's they're stuck in this machine going one step at a time with no ability to control the outcome. Yeah. It's really, like, really horrifying. My brain, <laughs> yeah. it just exploded. Oh yeah. my god. Well, 
before we start spiraling, because I think we all liked this movie, uh, is there anything that you're just like, oh, when, when we were like, hey, can we talk to you about, especially camera stuff on this crazy, awesome movie, is there anything that you're like, oh, if I don't talk about that, I'll feel like I didn't talk about the movie? Mm, not that we haven't talked about I don't think (laughs) yeah I I think it would be really easy to go through and nitpick this movie but like positively nitpick it because there's so many incredible things to talk about Oh yeah, Uh, I do think we definitely hit up the high points I mean yeah the thing that really stands out to me just overall is is something that's so hard to get right in a oneer, and that's pacing is when you're seeing who when the shots wide when the shots tight how you move between those things telling a story with the right pacing, with natural pacing, and that develops the story in a right, in a good way that you really get on board with, um, that really moves you. And oneers don't quite get it right so often, and this movie really got it right. Yeah. It's, it's looking at the right thing for the right amount of time. It feels like it's very, very well edited. <laughs> yeah. And it is very, very well edited, just in a non-traditional way yeah right oh yeah the the editing i can't even it's, begin to it's fathom really outstanding I, yeah it blows my mind it yeah. absolutely blows my mind yeah uh yeah. well holy crap thank you so much for coming and talking with us and geeking out thanks with for us inviting me for an yeah. afternoon um yeah we'll definitely include your socials in the description of the episode where where can people find you uh, in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Steady Viking. Okay. Steady with an I. Or uh, on my website, www.cine-neals.com. Awesome. And we'll, like like I said, we'll have that in the description of the episode. Um, and is there anything coming up that you're like, oh my God, you should, I have maybe this thing coming out or I'm going to be hanging out at this event or anything that you just want to be like, here's a way that you can meet me in person or just some projects that you're excited that may be coming up. Uh, well, let's see. I, I know where I'm going to be the next two days, but uh, work is going to take me who knows where after that. I'm not sure what's going to book or how that's going to go. <laughs> yeah. um, feel free to reach out to me though. I love talking to people. I love helping people. Um, access this stuff or learn or whatever it may be so just just send me a message and and (laughs) i'll find you (laughs) rad rad uh and uh he's available and hireable yes and not and not for free yes (laughs) yeah you you don't you don't get an 80 pound steady cam rig for free (laughs) no No, it it does cost money (laughs) well thank you again I, i I knew immediately we saw this and I was like, I need to call Niels. So I really appreciate that you geeked out with us and it was so fun. And really we have this podcast as a way to talk to our buddies. Um, Yeah, this is a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and to have an excuse to do it rather than just being like, no, it's for work. Um, (laughs) But yeah, thank you. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be stoked to learn even more about you. Sure. Thank you. Is there anything else, Jordan? No, I think we should go ahead and sign off. All right. Well, I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. See you next time.